Good morning, everybody. Uh, what a delight to be with you this morning. And this time I can almost genuinely say welcome to my dining room table. And uh, that's where I'm sitting this morning. And I do you wish you were with me so that we could share in this together in a personal conversation. It's been a great privilege to share these weeks with you. And we're now on week five at uh, looking at being empowered by the spirit. And as I prayed about today, I just felt it would be good just to remind ourselves of the uh, the proforma that we put on the uh, adverts that come on at the beginning of the service of what we were trying to aim at within this series. Let me read you. The book of Acts is unquestionably exciting. The spirit empowers, releases, challenges and shapes the early church. Is Jesus wanting his church today to be similarly empowered, released, challenged and shaped? What thinking do the events in Acts challenge us with as we journey through desperate, critical and yet exciting times? And I hope that some of the things that Jonathan and I have been sharing together have helped you to consider that and consider where you might be in your personal journey with uh, seeking to be empowered by the Spirit. When I uh, finished a couple of weeks ago, I, I said that I still had not completed my notes, which indeed I hadn't. And uh, as I prayed about today, uh, I'm going to continue uh, with uh, some of the things that were still in my mind last time, but the Lord has developed that as I've uh, pondered and, and prayed. But I just want to share two things that have happened this week. Uh, two experiences I've had that have really impressed upon me the importance of why we are doing this series at this time. Uh, I have a, uh, a person that I have known many years ago who is a, an intercessor and uh, he has an intercessory ministry uh, based in, in America and uh, he does a lot of teaching in prayer. And one of the things he said that has uh, struck him over recent years is that as he's traveled around in different places how prayer has become less of a priority in so many churches it's almost like a an add-on and certainly within the context of intercessory prayer praying for the world praying for revival praying for uh, people to come to faith in jesus it seems to be less of a, an activity and a priority in churches it was that same day when I'd heard this particular message from him that uh, I was in conversation uh, on the telephone with somebody. They, they live away from Norwich and they are, I would say, distant friends. And uh, this friend of mine has in the last few weeks just been diagnosed with a, a very serious uh, cancer um, condition. And um, after the conversation uh, and uh, our time together, I just said to my friend, uh, let me pray with you, which I did. And uh, well, I was absolutely shocked at the comment that he made when we closed the prayer. He said, David, you're the first person to have prayed with me. And this guy is a, an active member in a church and with many friends in the Christian family. And uh, I was just so shocked that within the context of a journey 
of great challenge with certain open-ended uh, expectations in it that nobody had yet prayed with him. And I thought to myself, wow, this is why we need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. We need to be much more free in our conversations with people. We need to be much more willing to pray for them, even if we don't know exactly what to pray, but to pray with them, whether that be over the telephone or in whatever manner we are permitted to at this particular time. And uh, I was uh, pleased to hear what uh, Paul said a little earlier in the service about the telephone calls and the birthdays and the different things, people you could contact. And I would truly encourage you, you know, that when you had these conversations with these people, finish them with prayer. It doesn't have to be long, but just committing God into the situation that that person is in. I do believe with all my heart that as we are empowered by the Spirit, and whatever expression you want to use, be it empowered, baptized, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that which we see and have been looking at in Acts, we are much more bold to step out and be Jesus in all sorts of different situations. So I'm going to invite you again now, as I've done in my uh, sharings over these last weeks, to pray this prayer with me. It's going to come up on the screen. I'll just say it and you can follow it through in your homes. But once again, I want to invite you not just to read it. You might like to even now bow down, kneel, put your hand up. And if you're with your wife or somebody in the home there, I pray that you would just put your hand on them, that together you may make this request to God. If you're on your own, uh, remember what we shared in that first week. You're not on your own. Jesus is with you. And he will share in this prayer because he desires this for each one of us. Know his presence even as we make this prayer. So it comes up on the screen now and we're going to pray this together. Lord Jesus, please fill me anew with the power of your spirit. Open and renew my thinking concerning your ways. I want to be empowered and receive all the gifts and gracious you want to give me. I surrender to your purposes for me. And I ask this also for all whom I live with and share my life with. Only for your honour and glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I hope that you have remembered that one of the things that I was really hoping and praying that uh, we would take away from these two weeks ago was that as we become more and more an empowered community with people being filled with the Spirit, there is something about us as a, a group, something about us as individuals that should be compelling, attracting and alluring. There is something about the people of God who are filled with his spirit, surrendered to his ways, living under his lordship that changes who we are. Not just in an odd moment, not just on a Sunday, not just when we're in fellowship with other Christians, but throughout every part of our lives. And I do believe, I earnestly believe that this is what the world, it doesn't understand it, but is desperately wanting to see. And I think until we understand that, 
then we're not going to make the impacts in ministry, in reaching out to people. We might have all the schemes and all the plans and many wonderful ideas, but from a spiritual perspective, we will not see the people coming into the kingdom of God that uh, we truly would love to see and that I believe Jesus wants to see. In my reading around for this series, uh, one of the commentaries uh, that I used, uh, written by John Stott, many of you will remember John Stott, uh, he made this comment uh, concerning the book of Acts and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And he is talking about the Holy Spirit here. I read, our responsibility is to humble ourselves before the Holy Spirit, his sovereign authority, to determine not to quench him, but to allow him his freedom. For then our churches will again manifest those marks of the Spirit's presence, which many young people are especially looking for, namely biblical teaching, loving fellowship, living worship, and an ongoing and outgoing evangelism. That just struck me, and particularly the comment that he made about the young people. And uh, I, I just believe that this is something that we just have to walk towards as we become compelling, attracting, and alluring. We looked at Acts 4 uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I declared to you that I believe uh, some of the characteristics of an empowered community was great love, great unity, great power, and great grace. I want us today to turn to another, I think, just a wonderful, exciting chapter in the book of Acts, where, where I believe we can see more of these characteristics that challenge us. Uh, that I don't believe you can be indifferent concerning these things. It's something that has to come from your inner self. Are you wanting this? Yes, we can say for the church. Now, the problem of saying, yes, we want it for the church is that I believe psychologically we're then saying, so somebody else can do it. We'll wait for somebody else. But I want to say to you this morning, and I believe this is from the Spirit of God, it starts with you. It starts with you. These characteristics need to be seen in your life and indeed in my life. And I pray for more of them to be strengthened and become more real to me. So we're in Acts chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at one or two verses here. We won't be reading the whole chapter. It's quite a long chapter. So I'm selecting some pieces within it and making very brief comments about some of these characteristics, which I am challenged with myself and which I suggest that you might like to be challenged over as well. So we have the church in Antioch and uh, verse one tells us that there were five guys there who were part of the leadership of the church. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manim, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who of course we know as Paul. But I want us just to read, and it's coming up on the bottom of the screen, verses two and three. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. I believe that when we are empowered with the Spirit, we have great guidance. But it doesn't just come. Sometimes in God's grace, he does 
uh, almost under the uh, guide us. But I want to say that I believe that we as God's people, and particularly as God's empowered people, need to be very intentional on seeking the Lord, to give him time, to look to him, and to want to hear his voice. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible tells us that they were ministering to the Lord. We're not sure exactly what that means, but we can assume that maybe they gave time to it, that they maybe were worshipping in whatever way they were choosing to worship in song and in praise and waiting on the Lord to hear his voice. And of course, fasting, which of course is an uncomfortable thing for many of us to consider. But all I can say to you is this, it is part of a spiritual discipline. And if we really want to be empowered by the Spirit of God and to see the giftings released within us, Sometimes our intentions revealed in fasting as we separate ourselves for a time, not having so much food or in some way reducing our diet, that would be the main way to understand it, uh, then we can draw closer to him and hear from his voice. And the Holy Spirit spoke. And I would just encourage you to think about this. What time do you give? to ministering to the Lord and praying and fasting? Is it just fitted in the day? Or is it just a few moments when you've got time? Or do you spend time kneeling, laying prostrate on the floor, sitting, quietly ministering to the Lord and waiting for him to speak to you? I would want to encourage you, as I would encourage myself, to see that as much more of a spiritual discipline uh, in your life, because through it, we can anticipate and expect that God will guide us in a very powerful way. After that uh, time uh, in Antioch and Paul and Barnabas are sent out, they arrive in Cyprus and there they make two, meet two interesting characters. I'm gonna share this one quite quickly. Uh, they meet a guy called Bar-Jesus, otherwise known as Elamus, and uh, he was a magician, a Jewish magician. And he had a reasonably close relationship with the Roman council there, whose name was Sergius Paulus. And um, they had a real connection together, it seems. And the Bible tells us that Sergius Paulus was a very intelligent man. Uh, but quite what he discovered in this guy, we don't really know. But because Paul and Barnabas were sharing the truth about Jesus, uh, we see two things happen, which I think are very important. Now, the, the first one is not, uh, uh, I haven't put the, the scripture on the screen, but it's there. And I'm calling this particular characteristic within the life of uh, empowered uh, people, believers, as great breakthrough. And one of the things we see uh, within Paul's attitude, and we read this in verse 9, is that Saul, uh, now called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked at Bar-Jesus, who was seeking to persuade uh, Sergius Paulus not to have anything to do with these uh, Christian guys. He said, Oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately 
a dark mist fell upon him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Well, that was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough into the kingdom of darkness, that this guy who was of evil intent and wanting to stop the progress of the kingdom of God was brought to that low place. And we can expect to see great breakthrough when God gives us, by the gift of discernment and understanding of the enemy's activity, we need to stand and take authority over that under the covering of the blood of Christ and in the fullness of the Spirit. But it doesn't end there because there's another breakthrough. And verse 12 is coming up on your screen now where we read, as a result of all this, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so this Roman guy becomes a follower of Jesus. And here on his first journey, Paul sees not only the work and power and the authority of Jesus in dealing with somebody who was of evil intent, but also in bringing somebody else to faith through the sign and the wonder. Sergius Paulus was Paul's first recorded convert as far as the scriptures are concerned. And uh, we believe he was a very notable convert as he would have influenced many other people within the context of his job. So another characteristic, another thing we can expect, another thing that we should in our, in our spirit be excited about within the context of our lives and within the context of the church is we can expect great breakthrough. Paul and uh, Barnabas move on and they go to another Antioch. Uh, there were two Antiochs in the Bible. The second one is in the what we would now call Turkey. And they came there, and as is their practice, they went into the synagogue, and they were asked to share. And I'm moving on in, in uh, chapter 13, and we see a wonderful uh, sermon, really, that uh, Paul preached between verses 16 and 23, eight verses, where he, well, I wrote down here, Paul masterfully summarizes the history of Israel up to Jesus' coming. Wow, he had a real way with words that could be so powerful in such a small time. And then in verse 26, it says this, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. That word, word there, is the Greek word logos, which means this divine expression of God has been sent upon you. And it comes on the foundation of Paul sharing with absolute confidence what was already written in the Old Testament scriptures concerning God's dealings with the children of Israel. The third thing I want to say to you this morning is that when we are empowered with the Spirit, when we are full and overflowing with that, we have a great confidence in the Word of God. And I want to encourage you. I don't know where you might be on this journey, but to look at the Word of God. And as I said right early on at the beginning, yes, to read, to study, to learn, to see all that you can within it, and then to pause and say, Lord, as a child, reveal to me what I need to believe and live on concerning your Word. 
The focus, as far as Paul was concerned, and you can read this a few verses on, is always bringing people to understand the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He always appealed to them to respond to that truth. As John Stott said, the choice he presented people with was dark. Wow, I find that quite interesting. The, the choice that Paul and Barnabas left with people was stark. Believe and be saved. Reject and then you have a journey of an absence of God working in your life. And who knows what your final destiny may be. And I want to really say to you this morning that as I've even studied for this particular series, my confidence in the word of God, that sense that God said it, therefore I believe it. And whatever I might feel within myself, I'm going to embrace it. Whatever the challenge may be and whatever the changes might be needed in my life. We need as God's church to be able to stand more and more firmly in the confidence of God's word. And I encourage you to make that a characteristic within your own life. Now, we read on in, in chapter 13 and discover that uh, on the first uh, Sunday, the first Sabbath that Paul shared this, uh, they listened with interest and uh, asked them to come back the following Sabbath to share even more. And uh, what we then discover is that there were so many people that turned up to listen to Paul and Barnabas uh, that they, well, Luke, the writer of Acts, describes it as the whole city turned up to see them. And uh, because of this popularity, because of this hunger that people seem to have, because it was so opposite to really what the Jewish people were wanting to hear and to understand, the opposition increased. And this is what we begin to read at the end of this chapter 13, that when you come, and I think we need to be honest and open about this, when you come in great confidence on God's word, when you come with that sense that you want to see breakthroughs for the kingdom of God, and when you come having sought great guidance for him, you can be sure, number one, that the enemy will not like it, and number two, that the enemy works through other people. And it's not the, uh, the people, it's the enemy who uses us. He can use me if I'm not in tune with God to stop the word getting out, to stop you sharing with other people. And so we read in verses 45 and 46, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And indeed, we do see from this time on that Paul has a much greater emphasis in reaching the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people. But the thing I wanted to emphasize here is where against the opposition, within the context of people who were not flowing with what Paul was sharing with them, it tells us that Paul and Barnabas grew bold. 
And I want to say to you that one of the characteristics of a spirit-empowered church and a spirit-empowered individuals is great boldness for the Lord to stand up for him, to speak his words, standing on that truth and believing that he will do the work. And I want to encourage all of us to look into our lives that we have, even within what I shared earlier about the telephone calls that you may have, is to perhaps this week, having asked God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit, knowing that he's done something within you, be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. And I believe that we would see great breakthroughs when we, his people, become bold. We stand for him. It's not us, but his life within us that makes us bold. The word uh, bold in the, uh, the original language, Greek, of course, actually means frank, blunt, outspoken. Well, perhaps some of us are a bit too outspoken. I don't know. But I think actually one of the things that could be said about the church for too long is we've been far too silent. Many of the laws that have come into law in our land and around the world in different places have happened because God's people have been too silent. We need to stand up. We need to declare what we believe. And there may be opposition that comes, but God, through the filling of his Holy Spirit, gives us boldness. And yes, we need sensitivity and lots of other things as well. But it must never detract from the boldness that we need. One of the things that uh, I always feel when I read in John's gospel, how Jesus tried to prepare his disciples. And in John chapter 16 and uh, verse 33, and I'm reading from the Amplified version on this particular moment, he said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. And that's, again, something that we can take for ourselves. None of us likes opposition, however it comes. But one of the things we can be sure of, if we're living sold out for Jesus, if we're wanting his kingdom to come, if we're wanting to see more of his manifest presence in our world through signs and wonders, through people coming to faith in Jesus, for our churches being places that are not forsaken, but people are running to them, sought after, as Isaiah tells us in his prophecy. One of the things that I uh, love is when I visit our uh, one of our sons, our eldest son, lives uh, just outside Oxford. I love history. Uh, I've done uh, a walking tour of Oxford and uh, with him and, and indeed with others as well. And uh, some of you will know that there's a spot in Oxford, which is the spot of the martyrs that were burnt for their following of the Protestant face. Three bishops uh, died there. Uh, one of them was Bishop Hugh Latimer. And I love the story when uh, he was preaching and uh, Henry VIII uh, was in the congregation. And Henry VIII did not like what he was saying. Now, quite what he said, I don't really know. 
And so he uh, said to Bishop um, Latimer, you're to come back next Sunday and you are to apologize for what you have preached and change your subject matter. And the next Sunday, Bishop Latimer got into the pulpit and uh, I read to you what he actually said in the sound of everyone. This was before he actually read the text for his sermon. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art to speak this day? It is the king, high and mighty, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away your life if you offend him. Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then he went on. But then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message you have been sent, even by the great and mighty God, who is all present and who beholdeth all thy ways and who is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore take care that thou deliverest his message faithfully. And then the interesting thing is that history records. He then preached the same sermon uh, that he preached the previous Sunday. I don't think Henry VIII was very pleased about that. And ultimately Latimer lost his life because of his boldness. Friends, we need great boldness. I don't think we'll be burnt at the stake, but we may have to suffer a little for our inward conviction that Jesus is Lord and the Saviour of the world, and all need to come to him. We move on and discover that uh, through uh, Paul's preaching, there are a number of people, Gentiles and Jews, that do believe, and uh, it comes to the end of that chapter. But in the end, the Jews, it says, stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. Now, I don't know what sort of a response that would have in you, but the Bible tells us that uh, for Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust from their feet and they uh, moved on from uh, Antioch, Pisidia. But then verse 52 is so critical for us as Christians. It says, and the disciples were filled with and with the Holy Spirit. A great characteristic of those who are empowered with the Spirit of God and seeking only to do his will in the world is great joy. See, we have been deceived into believing that joy or happiness, joy is a much better word, I believe, inner joy is something that is affected by outward circumstances. Friends, that's a lie of the enemy. Inner joy, sustained inner joy, comes from the conviction within of whose you are. You're Jesus's. You belong to him. You are in the love of a heavenly father who will never leave you or forsake you. And if you have surrendered to him and living under his lordship, the Bible says in John's gospel, when we are obedient to him, not only does he abide within us, but we have peace within us and Jesus's words, his joy fills our hearts and lives. And that verse 52 uh, commentators are, don't know, not sure, but I think overall they're saying that these disciples who were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit were not just Paul and Barnabas, but the whole group of converts who were in Antioch that they were then leaving. 
Friends, is that a mark of your life? Your joy, unaffected by circumstances, unaffected by the, the uh, attitudes of those around you, but a deep joy that comes because you know who you are belong to. You belong to Jesus. Uh, all of this, I believe, as I said, should not surprise us because Jesus has promised that his joy would be within us. I love what uh, Peter, the apostle, says in uh, his first letter. He says this, you never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing, inexpressible joy. 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. Are you filled with joy? I love the fact that as uh, Sandra and I, and now many of you, have been reading through the Bible uh, and, uh, with uh, the Nicky Gumbel uh, app uh, over this period of time, that this week so much of what has been there has, for me, confirmed what I wanted to share this morning. And so much of it has confirmed to me that, yes, joy and being thrilled with who Jesus is, is a part of who we are. I read to you what some of you, if not many of you, read on this, uh, I think it was Tuesday, yes, Tuesday the 2nd of February, in his comments on the great banquet uh, that uh, um, was in the Gospels, Nicky Gumbel said this, I find it fascinating that Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a party. This is the opposite of how many people think about God, church and faith. They think it is something somber, dull and boring. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is a party. It's a celebration with lots of laughter, joy and feasting. Wow, I like the sound of that. Well, it comes with a cost. I've still got to do the things that God requires me to do. Uh, out in the world when the party's finished or before the next party begins. But inwardly, I can have that sense of a joy, a party day by day because of Jesus within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of uh, the uh, major denominations was holding a conference some years ago. And in the last session of the conference, I believe it was, as the delegates went into the uh, hall for this meeting, they gave everybody a helium-filled balloon. And the instruction from the front was, as you sense joy, please release your helium balloon. One of the sadnesses of this was that they calculated that well over a third of the helium balloons were not released during the time that they shared together. Hmm. Sobering. Where's the joy in your life? The joy that bubbles up in every day and in every circumstance because of what is your inner conviction, your inner life in Jesus. Paul and Barnabas moved on. And I do just go into the early three verses of chapter 14 because this is so important, I believe. They moved on to Iconium. And uh, there, again, they went to speak to uh, the, the Jews and indeed the Gentiles. They went to the synagogue, as was their usual practice. And in verse 3, we read this. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly. There's that word again, outspoken about the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. 
granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And I want to say that one of the things that we should expect, pray for, look for, and step out in faith to believe for is that the great gifts that God gives through his spirit should be manifested within and through our lives and certainly within our churches. What are those gifts? Now, I'm not talking about ministry gifts, which are just there and they're important and God wants to use them, but I'm talking about the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul tells us about in 1 Corinthians 12. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, workings of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And there it is particularly talking about the public use of uh, tongues as opposed to the private prayer language that we've talked about before. These are important because it is often signs and wonders with the preaching of God's word that brings people to conviction. That's exactly what we saw with Sergius Paulus in that first convert of Paul's uh, that we read earlier today. We should be more willing to believe, to pray, to minister to the Lord, to pray and fast, to stand on his word and know that these things are as much for us today as they are for the early church. Peter said uh, when he was speaking to those early um, uh, people that listened to them on the day of Pentecost, as we call it in Acts 2, that when you repent and you are baptized, then you can expect to receive the Holy Spirit. And this is for you and for all the generations that are to come. I cannot find any evidence in God's word that would in any way make me believe that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not want to reveal his life, his power, his compassion, his love for people to come into the kingdom as much through these things today as he did when he was here and as he anointed his disciples to do. Now, I'm not teaching on the great gifts this morning. We would be here probably till tomorrow. But I want to just encourage you to desire those gifts. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, desire especially to have the gift of prophecy, because through that we can get increased direction and understanding of the heart of God. What are you desiring for? I've met too many people, really, I can understand it, I'm saying this is a little bit of an exaggeration, too many people who are desiring more than anything to get away on holiday. They can't wait for this lockdown to be over so that they can go away or go out for a meal or do something like that. Nothing wrong with those things, dear friends. But what greater desire is there to know the power of God within and to have his gifts released within us. I'm coming to the end of what I want to share this morning. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there is uh, a very important thing I want to say because Jonathan will be here next week and uh, uh, we will then move on to another series. But I want to say to you, what, has, what difference has this series made to you? At the first week, I said to you, I'm leaving you at a junction. I've sought, with Jonathan's uh, wonderful help, to move through some expressions of what that means to move on in the journey uh, from Acts chapter 2. I'm so thrilled that uh, Elaine and Kathy were able to share last week, and there may well have been others 
who have been affected as they've opened their hearts to the Lord in the privacy of their own home. I don't know. Only God knows. And as far as I'm concerned, that's great. But what I want to say to you is this. Are you still on the fence? Are you still on the fence? Are you still debating it? Are you still waiting and wanting somebody else to move out first? Or can you sense God speaking to you right now? Move in to all that I have for you. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That you recognize that Jesus said it to the first disciples. Wait until you've received power from on high. That we've seen as we've traveled through some of the things in Acts that it was an essential requirement and that God evidenced that baptism in the different places that the disciples went and through Paul and Barnabas and many countless times through the centuries. One of the things I've been really excited about this week is to have purchased and to read a, a book called Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall was a minister, pastor at Westminster Chapel for 25 years uh, and uh, a great teacher of the word. He's still on the uh, God channel if you choose to look. But one of the exciting things that I discovered in reading his story was how he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, how for a number of years, uh, even though at the beginning of uh, his journey back in the 1950s, he did speak uh, his own prayer language, but because of uh, misunderstanding and not right teaching and all the different things that had come into his uh, journey thus far, he set it aside. But then how he came back again. And in his testimony, in his book, he says, every day since this has been made real to me again, I pray in the spirit. You see, I'm not making a big deal of that. I don't want you to think I'm concentrating on that. I'm not. But within the context of being filled with the Spirit, in moving to the invitation, which is not just for me, but it's for you to walk in a closer walk with God, where you go beyond your own understanding, because our own understanding cannot embrace the mystery of Almighty God. And you come to a place where all you can say to God in your prayers and your understanding is God, I need you. God, I want you. I want to say this. How hurt are you and I? And I put myself clearly in the center of this feeling for the many thousands of people who have passed away in this COVID pandemic. But how much sadder should our hearts be when we know that perhaps many of them have not had the opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We have to commit them to the loving mercy of a loving God. But it doesn't take away from the fact that you and I have been called to be his witnesses, to share his love, to look, to wait, to minister, to be emboldened, to be totally committed to the truth that Jesus will return. We don't know when. And he will call those who have loved him to himself. He's not willing that any should perish, 
but all should come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't want to stand before him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I never spoke for you. I invite you now just to be quiet and to pray with me. And then we're going to move very quickly into that song again. That's a response song. And I want to tell you the truth of that word. It comes from Psalm 16, that when you're in his presence, when you know as far as you are able, that you are following his will, totally surrendered to him, it's in his presence that you will, will find fullness of joy. Pray with me, please. Father, we've sought in some way, Lord, to understand the wonderful revelation that your word has, that not only reveals to us the heart of a wonderful, all-powerful, mighty God, revealed through his son Jesus, but in these days ministered to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us, all of us, whether we be in our homes whether we're listening days down the road, not to resist your invitation any longer, but to surrender to you and to say, Lord, fill me, fill me, overflow me, immerse me, submerge me in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Give me all that you want to give me that I may be totally available to you and may see your kingdom come in greater ways than I've ever experienced before. Not for my glory, not that I might feel good, but that you may bring others to yourself and they may know the saving, loving, wonderful embrace of a Jesus who loves them. You are the Saviour who died and rose again triumphant and lives forevermore and gives to us the gifts that we may see your fruitfulness in our needy world. Lord, we receive it from you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>